I know, I know. Welcome, welcome to Parkview. Welcome, welcome. All of our campuses, glad to have you here. I know you were hoping it was bad Santa today, but no, it's Rudolph, okay? And uh, it is a good point, okay? Just trust me. I know you're like, oh, I hate that claymation stuff. No, no, I know, I know, I know, but hang with me. It's good, okay? Let me say, first of all, we did kick off the Christmas season with uh, two amazing Christmas concerts here. We sold them out. Um, sorry if you couldn't come. We only had a certain amount of seats, and, um, and it's on Facebook, okay? It's on our social media site. You can watch the whole thing if you want to. We'd invite you to do that. And, uh, and by the way, welcome to those of you that are watching online. We're, we're glad to have you here as well. I just wanted to tell you, we charged five bucks a seat just so that we could kind of know how many people were coming. And then we gave all that money away uh, and had an offering uh, time available if people wanted to give. And uh, we ended up giving $17,000 to Reclaim 13 because of that. I want you to know that. Uh, that's, that's huge. Um, Reclaim 13 is a safe house for sex trafficked girls that one of our members started and that Parkview is really involved in. I, I got a chance to baptize four girls from there recently. It's just an incredible thing that's going on. And that's just one of many, many things that Parkview does. So I just want to encourage you and thank you as a, as a partner in Parkview. We don't pass the offering anymore. And here's what I'm predicting is going to happen. Some of you haven't paid attention and you didn't go online to give. And, and, and you're going to get to next March and you're going to look at your tax statement and you're going going to go, oh, whoops, I, 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 didn't, I didn't have any tax deductions here because I wasn't paying attention. You got to get all that in by the end of the year. And uh, I just want to tell you right now, um, this is a big stuff, a lot of stuff going on around Parkview. We'd love to have you in on it and we appreciate your partnership. So thank you. Let's go back to Rudolph. Okay. My first memory, how many of you remember this was black and white Rudolph? Right? 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 I mean, I mean, I, I, you, you, you kids need to understand, not only was TV back in the day standard deaf, okay, it was, it was bad standard deaf, okay? So don't whine to me about not having 4K, all right? Yeah, I mean, you'd have no idea. Basically, we had an antenna that was two wires sticking out of the back of the TV, and if you were really desperate, you had aluminum foil, like... Just you went and got some aluminum foil and you wrapped it around there and hoped that it may. And then, you know, when you got really uptown, maybe you stuck a wire in and went to an antenna that was on the roof so you could get better channels. And it was a big deal when you got color. It was black and white. So, so imagine watching Rudolph, who the whole thing is what? His red nose in black and white, right? Does that work? I mean, they made it blink and they made that awful squeaking noise, but, but you still, I mean, it kind of blew the whole thing. And not only that, it was a big deal when you got color, but you had to watch it the night that it was on. I know I say this a lot, but you don't understand what it was like to grow up like us. No DVR, no way to tape it. If you, didn't, if you didn't get to see Rudolph that night, you had to wait 364 days before it was going to be on again. I mean, schools didn't do anything the night Rudolph was on or Frosty or Charlie Brown's Christmas. I mean, they literally made sure that everybody could watch. It was that kind of a big deal. And the story of Rudolph hit NBC in 1964, okay? That, that should date it a little bit. It was written, ironically, doing some of the background work on this. It's kind of funny. It was a promotion emotional gimmick for Montgomery Ward. Remember, remember Montgomery Ward, one of, the, one of the big ones back in the day, and uh, they had this coloring book. They thought if we had these coloring books that kids want, then their parents will come and shop, right? So, so they made this story. They asked somebody to write this story, and, and they wrote the story about the red-nosed reindeer, Robert May. I'll tell you about him in a second. He wrote this story, and it almost didn't happen because the executives at Montgomery Ward were afraid that the red nose might be associated with drunkenness. 
They could have Dean Martin sing that one. I, I don't know. But, but as it turned out, they went with it. it. It was okay. Nobody thinks about it as drunkenness. Uh, Gene Autry recorded the song. He didn't want to. His wife made him. And it became the second best-selling song a re- record of all time. Behind what was number one? Anybody know? Not Desposito. No, I'm talking about like... <laughs> Back in the day when they sold records, right? Yeah, somebody said it. White Christmas. White Christmas. Something about Christmas time just made everybody want to buy records, okay? So, so if you just landed from another planet and you've never seen Rudolph or you lived a, a sheltered childhood and your parents didn't let you watch Rudolph, let me recap for you, okay? Here are the characters. You have Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer. We don't know why he was born different, but he was born different with a red nose. We also don't know why he was disqualified from the reindeer games because he had a red nose. NCAA just kind of went a little crazy there. We don't know what happened, but, but that's what we know. He's a little bit of an outcast, a misfit, if you will. You have Hermie, who's an elf, but he wants to be a dentist. It's so great, right? I mean, ever, who doesn't want to be a dentist, right? But the big boss says, no, you're going to be a toy maker. I mean, you're going to conform, and that's the kind of stress Hermie's dealing with. And finally, he says, forget it, and he runs off with Rudolph. You have Santa, but let's call him Krabby Claus, okay? Do you remember Santa from Rudolph? Because he's really stressed out. And there's even this part where the elves are trying to cheer Santa up, and they sing him a song. And he walks out in the middle of the song. Uh, Evidently, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is not singing loud for all to hear. Or Santa needed Lexapro. We don't know what it is, but that was not good. Then you have Clarice, okay? Clarice is the lovely doe who is Rudolph's girlfriend who's not blinded by his nose. She's blinded by love. She thinks he's awesome. She's a little bit forward. She sings to him on their first date. Just, you know, if you're, if you're not into dating yet, young people, I'm just telling you, that's not a good idea, okay? Don't do that. Then you got comedy relief, Yukon Cornelius. Gotta love this guy. He's comedy relief. I mean, he's such a dork. He's, he's looking for silver. Then he's looking for gold. Then he's looking for silver and gold, right? And he's walking around the North Pole licking metal. That's how he tastes it, to see what it is. He's licking metal. Obviously, Christmas story hadn't come out yet. He didn't know the ramifications of sticking his wet tongue on a very cold metal piece. And, and the, bad, the bad guy, the antagonist, I mean, even in Claymation, he was scary, wasn't he? Even in Puppet World, he was a scary guy, abominable snowman. And you would hide under the covers as a kid, even though after the first time you saw it, you knew he only had a toothache. That was his only problem. You still were afraid of him. Then you had the, the narrator, Burl Ives, Sam the Snowman. I think uh, he worked for the CIA or Interpol or something because he knew something about everybody, right? I think he had a little wire coming out of his ear. I really do believe. So long story short, the, these guys run away. They all end up in the saddest place of all, the island of misfit toys. Now, this is why I picked this, okay? Robert May, as I mentioned, wrote this story, and it was based on his childhood because as a child, he was taunted, he was bullied, he was made fun of, he was teased all the time. Um, and, and so he wrote it from that kind of a standpoint. And, w- and when you realize that and when you, when you watch this clip, it, it'll hit you why he did what he did. Let's watch it together. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's wonderful unless you don't get to go. And that's the whole point. You want to know something amazing? The reason I picked Rudolph is because 
This story has a lot of misfits in it too. I dare say the Christmas story, the heart of the Christmas story, is actually for misfits. Let me explain. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her public, to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Let me, let, me, let me help you to understand that, okay? What, what we mean, Joseph was a righteous man. Translation is, he knows the Word of God. He knows what the Word of God says. He's trying to follow the Word of God the best he can. He knows he's not supposed to sleep with Mary until they're actually married. They're only engaged at this point. And he knows that she's pregnant. And he knows what the Old Testament law says about sex outside of marriage. And he knows what the Old Testament law says the penalties are for a woman who commits adultery, which technically she would have if she's doing if she's having relations with somebody other than Joseph and she's betrothed to him. She could be stoned to death, okay? He knows he's not the father. He's in a quandary. So it falls like this. I'm a righteous man. This is where Joseph is at this point in the Christmas story. I'm a righteous man and I'm with an unrighteous woman. We've heard this story so many times, we've forgotten what it's like. But guys, this is Maury Povich stuff right here, Okay? Put this in modern day language, and it's, well, according to our test results, Joseph, you are not the father. (laughs) But that's not the worst of it. How do you deal with a woman who is going to have a child that you know is not yours, and she says, God made me pregnant? Don't you move the infidelity to the back burner for a moment and start to realize the ramifications of living the rest of your life with this woman on the crazy train? Right? So in his righteous way, he also knows that it's up to him how he handles it. And he decides that he's going to break it off quietly, not make a big deal out of it, and this is how the whole thing is going to work out. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, No, 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 Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is really from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. That's awesome, except for one small problem. God didn't tell anybody else, right? I mean, we know the story. We, we understand the story. When you see pictures of Mary now, especially those of you that grew up in a Catholic background, you, you, you see pictures of Mary, and she's got a halo around her head, right? That's great, but you know she didn't actually have one of those. I bet Mary would have killed to have a halo back then. It would have been so great to walk around with a halo. Everybody would be like, oh, who's that? Oh, that's Mary. She's pregnant with the Son of God. See her halo? She didn't have that. Instead, you have this couple who you can't help but assume broke God's laws and worse yet are trying to blame it on God. This is a people, this is a culture that is so reverent for God that they won't even say his name out loud. They won't even spell all of his name. When they write out the word Yahweh, they leave the vowels out. This, 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 this claim that it's, this, that it's God's son is not only ludicrous and unbelievable, it's blasphemous. Do you understand that? 
So what happens? Well, Mary leaves for a while because she can't handle it. She goes and hangs out with her cousin Elizabeth. And then they come back, and then there's this census thing. And I always talk about the census, you know, and, and obviously it's God's plan because they live in Nazareth, but Jesus has to be born in Bethlehem according to the prophets and how hard it was for them to go the 80 miles from Nazareth all the, all the way to Bethlehem, and that would have been true. But why did Mary go? And Mary didn't have to go to the census. Only Joseph did. The wives could stay where they were. She decides to go. I mean, maybe that she knows the baby's going to be born. She wants to be with dad, and she wants him to be around. Maybe it's because they both were like, well, let's go to Bethlehem and get away from all the people talking because we're tired of being misfits. And then they get to Bethlehem, and what happens? There's no room. There's no room. I mean, we know there's a crowd. But there's no room. It feels to me a little bit like the Western movies, you know, when you could see the bad people coming into town and everybody grabbed their kids and they were locking the doors and they were shutting the shutters, you know. And everybody's closing up the town, you know what I'm saying? Hide your kids, hide your wife, here they come kind of thing. That's what it feels like when they get to Bethlehem. I mean, this is the town of their relatives, right? You would think that somebody would have made a guest room available for the pregnant woman. Somebody would have said, you could have my room. And it seems like that maybe I'm making all this up. Maybe it has nothing to do with this at all. But they feel like misfits to me already because you know what people are saying. And Jesus never gets away from this. You, you would think, like, as he, as he goes on with his life, everybody's going to forget this. In John 8, he's arguing with the religious leaders. You guys all think Jesus is nice all the time because you haven't read enough of what he does. He, he's arguing with the religious leaders, and he, and he says, the, your father is the devil. Okay, that's what he says. He's not very tactful. Your father is the devil. And they come back and they say, I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> they say, we are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Now, you know what that was? That was a shot. At least we know who our daddy was, right? Jesus never really outran this reputation. Later on, he's in his hometown, and they're disbelieving. His hometown believed less than most of the other places where he was. And at one point they say, isn't this the carpenter? Aren't you the guy that fixed my table, right? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Judas, John, Joseph, Judas, Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. But I want you to notice, isn't this Mary's son? You understand that that was not, you, nobody was referred to as the son of mom ever, right? That's how we get Jacob's son and all the different last names where son is in there. It's always the son of the father. And especially back then, women didn't count for anything, okay? You never said who the mom was. It never mattered. So what this was, even if Joseph was dead, which he may have been by this time, he may have passed away by this time, you still would have referred to him as the son of Joseph unless you were taking a shot and saying, isn't this Mary's son? This is their way of saying, we really need to call Maury. And I think this is a big deal because maybe the reason that Jesus had no problem touching the untouchables is because he grew up in that kind of an environment. I mean, think about what it was like to grow up as him. Oh, yeah, your mom got pregnant before, you know, they were married. And then she said, you were from God. I mean, can you imagine what a misfit Jesus felt like? Do you ever think that maybe the reason he had no problem going to Samaria and talking to a woman at the well in the middle of the day was because 
he understood what it was like to be a misfit. I mean, you didn't go, Jews didn't go to Samaria. Men didn't talk to women in public. And if she was there in the middle of the day, that was her island of misfit toys. That, that was her being ostracized by the other women saying, you can't come in the morning and at night when we do. You got to go in the middle of the day when it's hot and nobody wants to be there. And Jesus talks to her. I mean, I think it's because that's the heart of who Jesus is. But maybe the heart of who Jesus is was shaped by the way he grew up. You think the reason he had no problem talking to a woman like that is because of that? You know, his nickname was Friend of Sinners. That's what the religious leaders called him. And they didn't mean it as a compliment, but he took it as one. Who was he always hanging out with? The tax collectors and the prostitutes and the sinners. They were always gathered around him. They always felt welcomed. He was, always had his little island of misfit toys walking around with him everywhere he went. I think he was comfortable in that because that was his background. Then there's that woman, process this, who's caught in the act of adultery. If you, if you saw the Passion of the Christ, you'll remember this scene. It was, it was just so well done. This, this woman is caught in the act of adultery, and she's brought to Jesus. And the religious leaders say, what should we do? The law says we should stone her. And Jesus says, absolutely, you should stone her. Let's start with whoever is without sin. You can go first. And we know... According to scripture, it was really good in the movie. They just started dropping their rocks. Wisest to the dumbest, oldest to the youngest, they started dropping their rocks because they weren't going to mess with that. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Do you not wonder if going through the back of his mind, maybe Jesus thought, that could have been my mom. I mean, she was innocent, but they all believed she was guilty. She could have suffered the same fate. He came for misfits. If you, if, if you want to know what this is right here, you call it a nativity, you can call it a crush if you want to, but this whole thing is the island of misfit toys. I mean, we've already talked about Mary and Joseph. You, you get that part, right? What about the rest of the people in, the, in, in this little scene? you got the shepherds, right? The shepherds are misfits for several reasons. They're unclean. When, when you live with the animals, that means you can't, you're unclean. You've, you've touched things that, you're not, that don't let you into the temple, so you can't go into the temple. And they also smelled bad, okay? Nobody wanted to be around the shepherds because they smelled. That makes you a misfit. I grew up in Oklahoma, boomer sooner. We're in the playoffs, hallelujah, okay? But I want to tell you, we had some farm kids that went to my school. And you always knew when the farm kids had been with the farm animals and they came to school from there. You know what I mean? I mean, you could tell what was going on. They're misfits. That's how it's going to be. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord, Christ, the Lord. What kind of a statement do you think God is making when he sends his angel, I don't know why this is like tiny little angel. I, it's not my nativity set. Why does he send his angel over the center of religion, which is Jerusalem, still is today. Uh, the Muslims and the Jews and everybody's fighting over that temple mound even today. The angel's flying over Jerusalem, flying past Rome, which is the political center, flying past all the important people of the world, out into Bethlehem and past Bethlehem, out into the shepherd's field, out into the boondocks to give the message to some shepherds and probably some shepherd kids 
Because if, if you understand that culture, the kids were the ones that usually took care of the flocks, and especially overnight, which would have been appropriate because Bethlehem is the city of David, and David was the youngest of all of his brothers, and everybody thought, well, he can't be king. He's just a little kid, and he became the greatest king of Israel, and he was a shepherd. Okay, all this going together, right? My point is, the angel flew to the night shift of the lowliest profession that existed and said, and then suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, like a whole bunch of angels, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And the, and the shepherds are probably going, who, who's, who, who are you talking to? No, no, you. I'm talking to you, misfits. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That's what I'm here for. All the people. That means you. All the people means all the misfits. Say that with me. All the people means all the misfits. One more time. All the people means all the misfits. Maybe especially the misfits. Listen, if, if you're listening to me online, and you're listening to me online because you're going to give me that, well, if I walked into the church, the roof would cave in. I, I just got to tell you, the roof can cave in on your house, okay? I don't know, why, you know, I don't know why, why you think it would be any different. But the truth of the matter is you should walk in at some point and be here with us because we're all a bunch of misfits. If you're watching whatever campus you're at, wherever you are, and you're listening to me, you're here today, and you're thinking, oh, well, I'm sure glad he doesn't know me. He doesn't know how smelly my life is. He doesn't know what I've done. He, he, he'd, he'd ask me to leave I can't believe God would ever love me the way I've stunk up my life. Please know that I'm as big a misfit as you. And God's first announcement was to the smelly shepherds. Matter of fact, when Jesus started his ministry, he quoted from the Old Testament scroll, the book of Isaiah. It says he got up, and this is his very first thing that he's going to, to, to teach from is Isaiah Isaiah's prophecy from the year of Jubilee, and here's what he says. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to proclaim and, and to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. year of the Lord's favor was every 50 years, all the debts got canceled and everybody got put back in the same place. This is it. This is the year. This is why Jesus said, I've come. For the poor, for the prisoners, for the blind, for the oppressed. That's what, that's what I'm here for. Do you understand that? Who are those? Those are the misfits. And Jesus came to build a church for the island of misfit toys. And that is where you are today. And we welcome you. That's who we are. We're the poor, we're the blind, we're the oppressed. That, that's who we are. And we're saved by Jesus. That's the way that it works. Oh, wait, there's more people, right? What about these guys in the turbans? Wise guys, what, what about them? After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and said, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and we have come to worship him. All these guys always intrigue me. They're rich. That's what I love about this scene. 
They're rich. They bring gold and frankincense and myrrh. I mean, this was expensive presents. Such a great contrast between the rich and the poor. All here. That's who we have on the island of misfit toys. But that's not what's fascinating. What's fascinating is that they have turbans on, right? Do you understand that? They are astrologers. They are non-Jewish people. Most of the non-Jewish religions of that day followed the stars. They thought that the stars would guide them to things. That's how it worked. People still do that today. I had a guy follow me on Twitter one time. Then I clicked on his picture to see if I was going to follow him back, and it said, world-renowned psychic. I I didn't follow him back. I figured if he was that good, he knew I wasn't going to follow him back. (laughs) But think about this. I wouldn't follow a guy on social media that thinks he can read the stars, but God invited them to his son's birthday party. That's crazy. They were Gentiles. They were non-Jews. They were the first of us who were not Jews who were invited into the kingdom. Understand that? It showed us that God has everybody welcome. It shows us that all the people means all the misfits. Matthew talks about them in here, and he doesn't condemn their astrology. He's writing to the Jews. He doesn't condemn their astrology. He doesn't condemn their background. He doesn't even gripe about the fact that they showed up at the wrong place and tipped off Herod, and Herod ended up killing a bunch of babies and running Jesus off to Egypt because they kind of messed up. No, all he says is all the people means all the misfits. And this is significant because from the world's standpoint, from the, from the religion standpoint, from the Jews' standpoint, Jesus comes to fulfill Judaism. He comes to be the Messiah that was promised to the Jews. The Jews worship in the temple. That's how everything goes. They have priests. They have this religion. They have all this stuff. And Jesus went through all that, and he did all that. But what's ironic about this, you want to talk about the island of misfit toys? According to the Old Testament law, these people would not been a lot allowed into the temple because they were unclean. The shepherds were unclean. They couldn't go worship in the temple. These people couldn't go to the temple because they were the wrong religion. You had to be a Jew to go into the temple. Mary couldn't go into the temple because she was a woman. Only Joseph, out of this whole island of misfit toys, could have even possibly gone and worshiped God in the temple. And that's where Jesus' birthday party was all about. In the end of Rudolph, of course, it's about the fact that you know, Rudolph's supposed handicap was actually a tool. He's just beautiful, right? His red nose finally comes to, to a purpose so that Santa can see through this horrible storm that's out there, and, and he saves the day. Let me show it to you, and I'll wrap it up. I wish his nose didn't make that sound, don't you? <laughs> oh, man. But I love how in the end, the darkness, the storm, the depression, the distress, whatever it is, is changed by a single light. The light of Rudolph's nose. This thing that was uh, thought to be a problem turns out to be the thing that brings joy and happiness. And they go by and they pick up the misfit toys and they take them to some families. What's fascinating about this is I was doing research is when they released this in 1964, they released it the first year without that closing scene. They released it where Rudolph and Santa just rode off and saved Christmas, and they didn't go by and pick up the misfit toys. And they got so many, this is a true story, so many letters from so many kids going, wait, did they stop and get the misfit toys? Because all the kids are like, oh, you know, I want to help that cowboy with the ostrich. Is he okay? They rewrote the scene so that when they showed it the next year, it had that scene in it. That's how important it was to the kids. That's how important it is to us. 
And you can't help but see the parallel, right? Long before our story was ever written, that's exactly what God does. That's what he did for us. He sent his son into this dark world, and we know it's dark. We see darkness all around us all the time. And Jesus showed up and he said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I don't, I don't want to over-spiritualize Rudolph, okay? But there is one random character I left out. The king of the misfits, remember this guy? King Moonracer was his name. He's a lion and a king. Okay? And Charlie in the box, when he describes King Moonracer, says that he searches the world every night for unwanted and misfit toys to bring them home. When they accused Jesus of hanging out with sinners too much, he said, hey, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I suppose the misfit toys that King Moonracer flew over could have chosen not to go with him if they wanted to, and I suppose that you can choose not to celebrate Christmas as a misfit who's been rescued if you want to, but I want to encourage you this Christmas, maybe you should see the Christmas story a little bit different. Maybe wherever it is that you are, you think you're so far away, you're exactly the right place. You fit into this thing way better than you ever thought. I'm going to end up um, the video. I, I showed this at Christmas Eve several years ago. It's a, a company out of Switzerland, so it's 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 it's. In, it's in text box so you can see it in closed caption. But I, it's a Swiss company that's making mannequins that look more realistic. Okay? It's a phenomenal video. Um, they're, they're making mannequins not look perfect. Because I don't know about you, but when I look at a mannequin, I'm like, I, I don't look like that. And, and you don't either, right? So they've gone to extreme measures to find some people who had some pretty severe physical limitations and make new mannequins. It's just, it's just great for your heart. And then um, closing up with a, a song by Hunter Hayes. Hunter Hayes is a, a country musician, country star. People that I know that know him have high regard for him. He's a great Christian young man. And evidently he felt like a misfit during school. That's what this song is about. Then we'll come back and we'll have communion.